0: the FT. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today are Martin Arnold, our banking editor, and Laura Noonan, our investment banking correspondent. Today we'll be talking about the ejection of Chief Executive Anthony Jenkins from Barclays Bank. We'll be looking at the latest developments in Greece and what it means for the banks there. And finally, J.P. Morgan's results. What do they tell us about the outlook for Wall Street banks? First, though, to Barclays, where we saw a pretty dramatic ejection of Anthony Jenkins as chief executive last week. Martin, we kind of suspected that Anthony Jenkins would go at some point when John McFarlane was named chairman last year, end of last year. He wasn't expected to keep the CEO, but nonetheless, the ejection was fairly swift and brutal, wasn't it?
1: It certainly was. And the manner in which it was done was fairly unusual in that there were none of the usual references to it being a mutual decision. And Anthony Jenkins, you know, wanting to move on to a new opportunity and this being the right time to hand over. It was made very clear that, you know, he wasn't seen as the right man to take the bank forward and that they needed to move much faster, and that indeed the strategy that he had presented to the board at an off-site meeting last month was not sufficiently ambitious, and they wanted to move faster. And John McFarlane made it very clear that the non-executive directors had seen how he operated and how involved and focused on turning around the performance of the bank, and therefore asked him to step in and take executive control of the bank on an interim basis until they can find a replacement chief executive. And as you said, it was expected that this change would come, but just not this suddenly. And I think what happened was there was a big bust-up between Anthony Jenkins and the head of the investment bank, Tom King, over the severity of cuts to the investment bank that Anthony Jenkins wanted to make. Tom King was very resistant to that, said there was a franchise risk in doing so, and they would lose all their best bankers, including him, and And he even threatened to retire at one point over this clash. was persuaded to stay by John McFarlane, the new chairman. They patched over the strategic differences, managed to get the two to present a single unified plan to the board. But at that off-site board meeting, the non-executives called for a change. So what happens now because there does
0: seem to be a conflicted message here on the one hand you've got john mcfarlane arguing that there needs to be tougher cost cutting for example the strategy needs to be implemented in a tougher way and on the other hand there's a kind of signals around actually well the investment bank won this battle and they need to be looked after more carefully and even chatter about reinvestment in some areas of investment banking can you reconcile those two messages?
1: I think there is this contradiction in the messages that have come out of Barclays in the last few days. But I think to try and explain, Anthony Jenkins was seen as trying to cut almost indiscriminately the investment bank and causing you know, a lot of friction with the investment bank. His background is all in retail banking. He was not seen as somebody who sufficiently understood investment banking, and therefore he was seen as just cutting willy nilly without really kind of understanding what he was doing. And he certainly didn't have the confidence of the investment bankers. Now, John McFarlane's come in, he said that that was not the right strategy, but he's not proposing to leave the investment bank unscathed. Indeed, he's talking about accelerating, as you said, the strategy. So how do you square that? Well, essentially, I think it is a question of making it clear that Barclays wants to stay in investment banking, but they just want to shift the type of investment banking they're in. So they want to reduce the part of the investment banking, the trading business, the fixed income commodities and currencies business, which because of regulation and because of the condition of markets is not performing well. And they're going to cut back that business and they're going to invest in the fee earning businesses of mergers and acquisitions, corporate finance advice, debt capital markets, equity capital markets, and build up those businesses. The problem they'll have is that all the banks are trying to do exactly that. UBS have already done it to a large extent, but Deutsche, Credit Suisse, HSBC, all the other European banks are thought to be pursuing a very similar strategy.
0: Well, we'll obviously report back over the coming months and years on how successful they are in reconciling all that. Let's turn to our second topic for probably the fifth week running. We're looking at Greece and the plight of the Greek banks. Fortunately, we have a small light at the end of the tunnel for the Greek banks, just as we have for Greece as a whole. The banks are still closed. so-called bank holiday has been in place for more than a week now. The latest is that I think they're going to be staying closed until Thursday. If everything gets ratified in terms of the broader deal, they could reopen on Thursday, though, Laura.
2: Yeah, I think Thursday is the earliest possible time when we will see the Greek banks reopen, but we don't have absolute clarity on that yet. But certainly when you talk to Greek banks, they are a lot more optimistic now than they were towards the end of last week, because while they can't say definitively when they can open again, they do at least have hope. They aren't fearing exit of the Euros anymore. They aren't fearing collapse. So that is positive for them.
0: And the putative deal that has been struck helps them in two ways, if I'm right. Firstly, they get a potential capital injection of up to 25 billion euros. And they also get potentially the taps turned back on in terms of liquidity from the European Central Bank.
2: Yeah, well, that is certainly the hope on that. I mean, we should have a decision from the European Central Bank on Thursday about how much more liquidity or how much more funding they are willing to extend to the Greek banks. And that really is key here because even though they did impose limits on the amount of cash Greece could take out of the banks, we have seen a very big withdrawal in the last couple of weeks. So banks need to have some way to get cash back in so that they can reopen. So they do really need the ECB to temporarily allow them access to more cash.
0: So just to be clear on that, although the banks have been closed in terms of their branches, withdrawals have been feasible, obviously through cash points and so on, but limited to 60 euros a day. They've had about 100 million a day, roughly, of of withdrawals over the past week or so.
2: Yeah, that's roughly it.
0: And they have, in terms of liquidity, they have about 89 billion of European Central Bank money at the moment, but that's been frozen for the past couple of weeks. We think, if that gets reopened, do we have any idea of how much would be freed up?
2: Potentially 10 to 15 billion extra, we think, could be freed up. But it does all depend on the European Central Bank being happy also that the Greek banks have some kind of collateral which will actually allow them to borrow. So you're only allowed to borrow from the ECB if you're able to give them collateral, which then means that if the bank can't pay it back, the ECB can take the assets. And it's not clear at this point that the Greek banks have enough collateral to actually get an extra £10 So there's also talks about them getting some kind of support from the ESM, which would help them to actually access more funds. So we need two things to happen. First, the ECB to increase the ceiling and that is really critical but then second we may also need some kind of capital enhancement which would allow the banks to actually access that. We may also need a liquidity enhancement to allow the banks to access that. But the liquidity issue is really only one side of the problem for the banks. They now have a very big capital hole. They just don't know how big. So the banks are also going to need to be recapitalized at some point in the future pretty soon, which is going to be good for the banks, but also very painful for the investors who would have subscribed because these banks would have raised cash in the last few years from investors who would have bought in ahead of the ECB stress test last year. And those investors stand to lose out a significant portion of their ownership, if not all of their ownership, unless they are also willing to take part in recapitalizations. And so far... I haven't heard any of those investors say, yes, we do want to pump more money into the Greek banking sector at this juncture.
0: Funnily enough. But that's where potentially the 25 billion comes in as a route to recapitalize. And just to be clear, one of the reasons they need to recapitalize is because what's happened to the potential value of the assets on their books as Greece's economy has turned down in recent weeks and months, non-performing loans are expected to have jumped yet again.
2: Yeah, but it's very hard to be definitive about that at this stage because if they are able to get things stabilised in Greece if they're able to have a programme which actually does something to actually stabilise the Greece economy and put it on a sounder footing going forward, the overall damage to the quality of the bank's assets won't be nearly as bad as if we had had Greece exiting the Eurozone as it, or if we hadn't been able to find a program. So the lasting damage is going to take some time to assess. I mean, certainly it has been bad for the quality of Greek bank assets. But I think at this point, it is too early to say how bad it has been and how deep that damage will actually be. So they will be assessing the Greek bank's balance sheets in the autumn, I think, which will be after all this has calmed down. So you might see a preliminary recap before that and then a more final thing once they're able to actually properly assess the impact of what has happened in the last few weeks.
0: Well certainly it looks a little brighter this week than it did seven days ago so uh, I suspect we'll come back with another update next week when we have potentially a more definitive view of of where this bailout will leave the Greek banks. Let's stay with you Laura for our final short item on JP Morgan. They have their quarterly results out, always seen as a, a guide really these first numbers to the broader Wall Street numbers. What are the highlights?
2: And The numbers are actually good this time. They're actually extremely good. So JP Morgan was expected to have earnings per share of $144. They've got earnings per share of $154, which is a a big beat from a bank which has struggled to even meet expectations recently. If you go down through the detail of the results, the biggest beat seems to be from the corporate and investment bank Um, in terms of year-on-year growth the net income in the corporate investment bank was up 10% year-on-year versus a 5% year-on-year rise across the group. So that really is what has helped them this term.
0: And what's behind that investment banking performance particularly?
2: So I think they signal out higher advisory fees and higher debt underwriting fees as being one of the key drivers within the corporate and investment bank.
0: It's the M&A boom, basically.
2: It's the M&A boom, basically, which is helping them. And JP Morgan is almost always top of these M&A league tables. So when there is an M&A boom, JP Morgan has an outsized boom from that.
0: And I guess it all goes well, particularly for the likes of Goldman Sachs later in this reporting season, but across the board, I suppose.
2: Yes, it looks good for any of the US banks. But one of the trends we've been seeing recently is that the US banks have been winning a lot of share in the European market. So we can also take from this that if we've seen a big rise in the JP Morgan advisory fees, that may be hurting some of the European banks who also do m and services and who have been very much focused on their own internal issues recently. There are some major changes going on internally, so we may see weaker numbers from them in terms of their fees for MA and for advisory work.
0: There's definitely something to look out for over the coming weeks. That's it for this week. All that's left for me to do is to thank Martin and Laura here in the studio. Also, thank you for listening. Remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com slash banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.